You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hi, thank you guys so much. Um, I'm a little stopped up today, so try not to think of SpongeBob while you hear me today. Please, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, I wasn't in here with announcements. We were due uh, our worship debrief after. Wasn't Dallas and Amy amazing today? Where are you at? Are you in here? Are they in here yet? Yeah, they're out there. They're awesome, and we're so thankful to have them um, as a part of our team now. Um, but I just wanted to say, I don't know if y'all mentioned it, but our first single off of the live worship album we recorded back in March just came out this weekend. Thank you guys so much for your support. It has just been, re- we've been blown away by the generosity of your words and your time and sharing, all that kind of stuff, and, and we're really excited. We really believe that the song has a prophetic declaration that it's releasing over people that righteousness and praise are springing up, like in Isaiah 61, 11. So, but yeah, so we're excited. It's Pentecost Sunday, so I'm even more excited. I don't think it was a mistake. We, we didn't think about uh, the timing of releasing the song, because with this, I'm, I'm learning the process a little bit. Cody's been in uh, doing music production for a long time, but I'm, I'm newer to it, so he's teaching me along the way. You're having to think about six weeks out about everything you do, because there's so many different people involved and talented people produ- producing it and all that stuff. So, But when we realized, oh, June 3rd, that Friday is the same week as uh, Pentecost Sunday, we're like, whew, just the Lord just breathing on this weekend. And so I've just been praying um, just over our body this week. And, you know, I'm just trying not to get through the sermon without crying. It's because I love the Holy Spirit. Y'all love the Holy Spirit? I know you do. This church loves the Holy Spirit. We really do. And I I just want to just thank every one of you just for having yielded hearts. Yielded hearts, because that's where the unity comes in, where we can be a yielded church together. From worship to the word to the way that we treat each other, the Holy Spirit has just so much pleasure over this church. So thank you, each of of you. So today we're going to be talking about a couple things. The origin of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, instruction that we learn in scripture, and we'll do some impartation at the end. Impartation, if if that's kind of a big word, if you don't know what it means, it just means uh, you release what you have. And so we're going to have people pray for you uh, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, and the evidence of speaking in tongues, which we, you know, who knows what speaking in tongues is? Just kind of get a gauge of the room. Okay. We call it our heavenly prayer language. We'll talk about what it is. Uh, what it does. Uh, Who has their prayer language? No shame. I just want to see. Okay. Who has never heard of speaking in tongues or doesn't know a lot about it? Anybody? Okay. Cool. Well, I hope this is a refresher course and we learned something new today. We're going to kind of travel through the scripture and a little bit of history over the last Pentecostal awakening over the past 150 years. Uh, This is something I'm very passionate about. I grew up in a pastor's home and a uh, spirit-filled believe in and speak in tongues, prophecy, all that. And so it was valued to teach from a young age because we believe that there's no junior Holy Spirit. I was talking to Raul before service, and they're praying over the kids today, if any of the kids who want to receive their prayer language today. So ask your kid if you have them in there, did you get your prayer language? Do you want it? And continue to pray for them. And at the end, we'll, we'll pray again. But I just want to preface with this. Nowhere in scripture does it say you must uh, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit within the four walls of the church. 
Some of you may receive it this morning. Some of you uh, may re-experience. If you haven't spoken tongues in a long time, we want to pray for you. It's just a revival and a refresher in that area. Some of you may receive it tonight when you're going to bed or tomorrow on your commute. There's no limit to how he comes and how he wants to interact with you. He's so kind and he's so generous. And I think and I hope that this morning there's a little bit of shame and a little bit of confusion that lifts off of us as a people, if there's anything attached to that, because I've been in services and uh, that have the impartation, and then you walk away if you don't receive your prayer language feeling defeated or feeling confused or, or feeling like, was it just emotional? Like, you know, what, what was that? And I, I just, there's so much intellect behind the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and what this is. And I hope it brings clarity and just no shame in Jesus' name. No confusion in Jesus' name. It's going to be fun, okay? All right. So today we celebrate Holy Spirit. Another note, when I say the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit is not it. Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The same way that we say the Father or the Christ, sometimes we say the Holy Spirit just because it's easier in our English language to make sense of a sentence, right? But Holy Spirit is a person of God, fully God, right? Okay, so uh, today we celebrate Holy Spirit, and we will dive into this beautiful, critical, powerful gift he's given us, the baptism. Today is a marker that we remember the anniversary of the Holy Spirit's divine interaction, settlement within us, and upon us as believers. Most believers understand that the Holy Spirit is present with every believer, yet many do not understand his role in our lives, have never been taught or given the wrong information about him, fail to engage or pursue him in his desired work in our lives. The baptism was never meant to be a trophy for the devoted Christian. It's not. It has always been and will always be a gift, a weapon of warfare and praise to align us fully into the will of the Spirit of God. Just like the gift of prophecy, it is available for every believer and waiting to be activated. There should be no shame or striving in receiving this gift. It's practical, it's holy, and it will come by prayer and become more and more natural as we use it and practice it. You know, I think it's, it's, it's been weird. We've kind of seen a shift in our culture uh, from tongues being the main gift, right? And then prophecy is now the main gift. Like, it's the best gift, right? There's no best gift, <laughs> right? If it comes from God, it's good. And it's fun. And it's available to every one of us. It may become, it may come more naturally or easier, look like it becomes easier to other people, but I want you to know that it's for everybody, and it's for you. It's for you. It really is. Okay, so we're going to talk about a scriptural foundation about why we believe it's for every person. The origin of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the instruction left to us as a church, how to operate and interact with this gift, and an impartation of this gift to whoever wants to receive the baptism today. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2. I've got written down in my notes here, so I don't have my... My paper Bible. I promise I studied with it. So it's anointed. Don't worry. 
<laughs> don't apologize. If you don't have it on your phone or, or your paper Bible, you can look on, on the screen. We got Acts 2 through 21. Uh, but just some context here. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples over a span of 40 days and then ascends to heaven. He gives us in this, them instruction to wait in Jerusalem. Acts 1, 4 through 5 says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost literally means 50. <laughs> Penta, the Latin, 50. It's 50 days after Easter. It was the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, which was why uh, there were so many people from around the world coming to celebrate in Jerusalem. Aside from Jesus' instruction, the disciples uh, were there celebrating. Ten days later, um, after Jesus' uh, ascent to heaven, 100, about 120 of them were gathered in an upper room, praying and waiting for what Jesus had said what happened? Okay, let's read Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? All of these names, I'm not going to attempt to say, we hear them declaring... <laughs> Uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine, <laughs> which is just funny. Uh, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which is also hilarious. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel 2.28 is what it's referencing. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and on signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on to preach more about the gospel, and it says 3,000, 3, not 300, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. That's amazing. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. <laughs> That's what happens. So many of us are familiar with what happened on the day of Pentecost there in Acts 2. But let me give you a very brief overview of uh, the historical events that led to the Pentecostal awakening um, in the last 150 years, out of which some uh, organizations like the Symbols of God, which I grew up in, Church of God, and many others who value the Holy Spirit uh, and spread it all over North America as mainstream and normal, <laughs> happened. So it's really cool. Okay. You guys ready for a little history lesson? Yes. Okay. On January 1st, 1901, 
after concluding from an intensive study on the book of Acts that led to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers, God poured out his spirit on Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. Agnes Osman asked for the leaders of the school to lay hands upon her so she would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost according to Acts 2.4. She became the first of millions in the 20th century to experience Pentecostal baptism. Charles Parham, the school's founder and administrator, led in the belief that Christians should expect a baptism in the Holy Spirit separate from being born again. One of his star students was a man named William Seymour. I love William Seymour. Brother Parham moved to the, uh, the center of his rapidly spreading movement to Houston, Texas, where a great revival began to break out among the people of mainstream denominations. Organized Pentecostalism was first known as the Apostolic Faith Movement. At this time, about a thousand people had received the baptism, and there were about 60 Pentecostal ministers. Julia Hutchinson led a group that was asked to leave her church in Los Angeles, California, because of their belief in the Holy Spirit baptism. She was told um, of a student in Charles Parham School in Houston named William Seymour and recommended that he come and pastor the fledging new work. The year was 1906. After encountering much resistance to his message, Brother Seymour began preaching out of the home of Richard and Ruth Asbury on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. I don't have a picture of that here, but we do have a picture of a separate building that you might be familiar with. Um, as crowds began to grow, they began to rent the um, former African Methodist Episcopal Church at 312 Azusa Street. Yeah. Or about 350 people began to meet. There's a wonderful book called They Told Me Their Stories. You should get it on Amazon or somewhere. <laughs> Google it. And it's all about uh, firsthand accounts about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there at Azusa. The meetings began to produce thousands of salvations, Holy Spirit baptisms, and incredible miracles. By 1913, Pentecostalism had spread across the country, and many groups had sprung up, but none in the Deep South. Recognizing the need uh, for order, order and organization, E.N. Bell, the publisher of a magazine that reported the Holy Spirit baptism movement, was living in Malvern, Arkansas, and issued a call for the gathering of the Pentecostal ministers to convene in Hot Springs, Arkansas, in the spring of 1914, uh, April 2nd through the 12th. It was there that 365 people who believed that the gift of the baptism and the Holy Spirit was for today and would gather to form the Assemblies of God, now the largest Pentecostal um, church in the world, fastest growing Christian fellowship ever to be formed. <laughs> We're not in some of church, but there's a lot of people here who are from there, different movements, Church of God, who are under the Bethel covering, who came from AG. Uh, but it's just amazing to see the history of where we are today. That's amazing. That hungry people <laughs> in a little Bible college in Kansas would say, there's more. There's something more. There's something there that people experienced in Acts chapter 2 that I've got to have. It, I, I feel like it's for me, and it is for me. And then he proved it <laughs> because he's so good, and he's so faithful, and he's fun, and he's powerful. I grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and that opera house, the picture that you saw on the right of the screen, uh, was demolished in like the 60s, and now it's a parking garage. But there's a plaque on the ground where you can go and say, you know, this is where people gathered because they believed that God had something for them and a gift to pour out to all believers in this generation. 
and he's continuing to do so. So I grew up just with the value for it. And man, it just, it never gets old. (laughs) It never does. It's so much fun. Why should believers who are on their way to heaven, because you're saved, right, and can't evangelize others, you can lead people to Christ, you know, still seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why is it important? Why? Let me use the example of travel. I can go to New York City by car or by airplane. Airplanes like two hours, cars like 18 (laughs) or longer. Both means of transportation will get you there, but one has much more power, faster, and gets you there to your destination so you can, you know, get on. You don't have to to spend some time that you wouldn't have to if you don't need to. Think about it. Before the upper room, the disciples fled the scene when Jesus was arrested. After the upper room, they created a scene. They created a scene. Before the upper room, Peter tried to kill a man who did not agree with Jesus. After the upper room, Peter preached with power and 3,000 people were saved. Before the upper room, Peter and John passed a lame man many times begging at the gate to the temple. After the upper room, they stopped and met a need with power. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is often accompanied by what we call speaking in tongues. So let's define that. Again, I mentioned it earlier, we refer to it sometimes as our heavenly prayer language. Praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit. The term comes from the Greek, I'm going to attempt this. Dallas, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Glossé lelo, maybe, I don't know. He's good with theology, I'll ask him later. Should ask before service, sorry. Uh, which means, glossé lelo, speak in, with, or by tongues, or other languages. Speaking in tongues is a supernatural expression of God's spirit. It is a Holy Spirit-inspired way of speaking, praying, praising God, by which a Christian speaks in a language they have never learned. When a person speaks in tongues, it may be an existing human language, like we see in Acts 2, or it may be a language unknown on earth, like in 1 Corinthians 13.1. Paul mentions speaking in the tongues of angels, and we'll expound on that later. Regardless of whether a language is understandable to the hearers or like no other language on earth, it is a mean of communicating with and expressing praise to God. So let's look at a scriptural foundation for Holy Spirit baptism. The Holy Spirit lives inside every believer. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit now lives in you. If you can't speak in tongues or you don't speak in tongues, this does not mean that you do not have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The Holy Spirit lives in you. All right, everybody say, Holy Spirit lives in me. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 21 through 22, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This was before the outpouring in Acts 2. Believers have the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside every believer. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, 
but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. Number two, Jesus prophesied that he would send the promise of the Spirit to believers. Luke 24, 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This promise is a gift of power. It's a gift of power. Number three, the promise of the Holy Spirit meant a change in the behavior of believers. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Number four, there are multiple examples in Scripture that prove baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate occurrence from salvation. Again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you get saved. The baptism is something that can happen simultaneously as you get saved. Some people have the experience where I got saved, I got my prayer language in the same day. Awesome. Some people are saved for 50 years, and then they receive it sitting alone in a hotel room. <laughs> I know. My, one of my parents' uh, greatest mentors is a Southern Baptist preacher in Chattanooga. And uh, that was, speaking in tongues is not popular around there. <laughs> and he began to get hungry, and he didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and he studied it out, and he was on the road traveling, and he just is like, I just feel like there's something more. And he's in his hotel room, and he's praying one night by himself. All of a sudden, he received this prayer language, and it scared him. <laughs> and then he told his wife, and she was scared too. <laughs> and she said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And he was in his 50s, and he'd loved the Lord all of his life. Didn't mean he was a second-class Christian. <laughs> That logic doesn't make sense. That logic is so flesh, so human-inspired. But no, speaking in tongues is a gift, and it's for every person, every person. So, but the receiving it is just like, you know, being trained in any other gift that the New Testament describes. It's something that you receive and you practice. So, Jesus was one with the Spirit all of his life, and that's an undisputed fact, but he still recognized the need of an anointing from the power of the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry. So he was baptized in water. And then his first words of his ministry was, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. He has anointed me to preach. The disciples were certainly believers before the upper room, of course. Peter had made his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus has pronounced them clean with the exception of Judas. Jesus declared that their names were written in heaven. Then after the resurrection, he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. They had received the Holy Spirit as believers, but needed the gift of the baptism later. The disciples at Samaria are another example of this. I think we have it up, up there. The number four point, yeah. The disciples, the types, disciples at Samaria. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not come yet on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The new believers in Cornelius' household. Acts 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. <laughs> I love it. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
the new believers at Ephesus in Acts 19. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took them on the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Then he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism in water, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them in partation, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So that is the origin of the Holy Spirit. Makes sense to everybody? Awesome. Cool. Instruction. How and why is the baptism necessary and useful for every believer? Why we can't treat the baptism as an optional gift? Number one, Jesus emphasized that we need this gift. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He says, wait. They had been with him for three years. He said, there's something more. I need you to wait here. It's a promise. It's a gift of power. And it's coming for you, but I need you to wait on me. I need you to trust me. And so they prayed for 10 days, and then he came on his beautiful. Number two, the baptism is necessary for witnessing with power. But you will receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Number three, let's talk about what speaking in tongues, praying in your heavenly prayer language does. Speaking in your prayer language allows you to pray the perfect will of God. Isn't that encouraging to know that if I pray something that is just totally whack, that I can pray in the spirit and the Lord will be like, actually, (laughs) let's do this one. (laughs) Let's do that one. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries of the Spirit. But one who prophesies speaks in a tongue for people, uh, to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 goes on to give more instruction about how uh, speaking in tongues and what we know, if you, if you were around Pentecostalism for a while, a message in tongues, you know, worship would be going, then you'd just hear somebody shout from the corner of the room in tongues. As a kid, I prayed to God that if I brought one of my friends from school, Miss Terry would not. <laughs> because it was powerful, and I understood it, but I didn't want to freak out my Baptist friends. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, your church is weird. <laughs> Oh, never coming back here. It's like, we have pizza and youth group. Nope. (laughs) Y'all are scary. That's not English. When a message is given in tongues over the church, like a prophetic word, Paul goes on to instruct the importance of interpretation. For it is, again, like prophecy, a message from the Holy Spirit. This gift requires partnership and unity with the spirit and each other and brings order to the local body, brings encouragement, brings edification. But it says specifically here uh, that when you pray in the spirit, you edify yourself. I think that it's very critical that we ourselves are edified before we edify someone else. I think it's important that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to purify us, to edify us, and to give us power, right? Because then you can give away what you have. 
St. Patrick of Ireland spoke in tongues. So did Francis of Assisi. The Quakers did. That's why they were called the Quakers. Did you know that? Because they would quake underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't known for oatmeal, as you might see. No. But no, they would literally shake underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. The early Methodists did. So did John Wesley, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, John Osteen. I have a story about John Osteen. My, my dad uh, and my mom pastored a church when I was born in Blyville, Arkansas. And you may know John Osteen's son, Joel. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Joel. but uh, <laughs> So John was a Baptist preacher. He was preaching a revival in Blyville, Arkansas a couple days. And at the same time, he had been studying out this gift, the baptism. And, you know, he was well known at the time. And so he sneaks into the back of a little Pentecostal church in town. Um, that was 50 years before my parents ever came, like small hole in the wall church in the middle of nowhere. Goes in just to see, what's this gift about? What's this about? And he goes in and he doesn't receive the baptism there, but he does later. And he's like accrediting it to like, oh, wow, these people are actually moving in power. And they're not weirdos. <laughs> but no, John Osteen, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now his son pastors the biggest church in America, right? If not one of the biggest. The power of the Holy Spirit. So important. Number four, speaking in your prayer language means your spirit man is, the, is praying the language of the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If one thing I do often is that if you are like, Lord, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pray I can just sit in your presence and pray in English, <laughs> pray what I know, pray no, with understanding is what it calls, but praying in the spirit allows your spirit to line up with the will of God and to partner with him to say, I just want everything, everything you're thinking, I want it, <laughs> I want it. That's where I want to be. I want to be praying the spirit of God and the will of God. Paul Yongi Cho, the pastor of the world's largest church in Korea, as says, as a young Christian, I could not see the importance of tongues in my Christian life. However, the longer I believe in Jesus Christ, the more I feel the tremendous importance of tongues in my own personal Christian life. I spend a good deal of my prayer life praying in my spiritual language. I can go directly into my Father's presence and the Holy Spirit. So to talk a little bit more about, you know, the phenomenon that we see in Acts 2, that they are, you know, prophesying in other languages. It says that they heard them in their own language. They didn't say they were speaking in each one. They heard them as the Spirit enabled them. I was with, um, we were in Amarillo last weekend uh, with uh, just like the Reynolds and the Bullards and the Lappins and Moores bunch of people. It was a conference slash graduation of School of Kingdom, Dub Alexanders, that has been here a couple weeks ago, a couple times. He's awesome. His school out there. And I got to meet this wonderful uh, couple. Scott, I think you know them, Wendell and Loretta McGowan. 
Yeah, yeah, Loretta, oh man, she is awesome. She is, I just want to be like her when I grow up. She's intimidating and wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, so is Wendell. But like, not like a mean, but like a, they've been with Jesus (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) And your prophet eyes are looking right through me. (laughs) But no, we were just talking and um, the subject came up. And she said, you know, I was at a women's meeting one time, and there were two German ladies who had come into the meeting who didn't speak any English, and I just wanted to be friendly, and I walked up to them and said, hey, how are you? And they looked at me, and their eyes got big, and they said, how do you know German? And she said, I, I don't know German. She goes, you just asked us how we are in our own dialect. And she goes, I had no idea. What was happening is that the Holy Spirit, even in her friendliness, <laughs> and her simple phrase, because the Spirit of the Lord was upon her, they were able to hear it in a language that made them feel comfortable and welcome and near to the presence of God. Uh, there have been a couple times, I, I, I challenge you to pay attention to the things that you're praying when you're praying in the Spirit, because you may be able to pick up on things um, that you wouldn't really recognize outside of it. Not every time, but sometimes, and I think it's cool how the Lord does this. I was praying one time, And this phrase just kept coming up in my prayer language. And I was like, okay, that's kind of strange. I don't really know what that is. I said, Tisha B'Av, Tisha B'Av. I was like, what is is that? I've never heard of that. I don't know what it is. So I Googled it. (laughs) Tisha B'Av was, uh, it's Hebrew for a day, I think, signifying like a tragedy of mourning that was on August 5th. And it was like August 6th when I was praying, like at midnight. And I was like, Lord, what is this? So I don't really know exactly. It didn't have a lot to do with me, but I believe that at the time I was interceding over the people involved or the people who were affected in any way and praying in the spirit over things. I may never see the fruit of until I get to heaven. But I would challenge you just to pay attention to what you're praying because there could be hidden treasures and hidden mysteries in it. Um, This past weekend, again, in Amarillo, uh, Matt Gonzalez, wonderful brother in the Lord, he was preaching, and he called up everybody who felt like they were called to the local church in some type of ministry sense. And he began to pray, and then he began to pray in the Spirit over a group of us, and his language, prayer language, sounded very similar to a language that I'm kind of familiar with. I don't speak it, but my grandfather uh, and grandmother were missionaries to the Samoan Islands and the Pacific Islands for 35 years. They uh, taught and preached at a Bible school, trained at pastors at a seminary to send them out all over Tonga, New Zealand, Samoa, all of that. So that culture is familiar. I've seen the movie Moana, the Samoa. <laughs> so the way he was praying sounded very similar to their language. And I just began to cry, not knowing what he was saying. I wasn't getting a full interpretation of his prayer language uh, at the moment, but I just began to pick up on things like I would a prophetic word. And I just thought, I need to go up to him and tell him. And then as I began to like give him an interpretation somewhat as best as I knew and was receiving from the Lord at the moment. 
I said, the way that you were speaking and the words you were using and the tone you were using was very similar to the Hakka. I don't know if you guys have seen videos about this on Facebook or anything, but it originated in Tonga, New Zealand. And yes, <laughs> and uh, in the, originally it was a dance that warriors would do before a battle and at certain uh, occasions to ward off evil spirits. That's what that is, origin is from. But now, in modern times, people do it at weddings. And the groom and groomsmen go up and they do the haka in front of and over the bride. And it's intense. I, I'm not going to attempt to do it. <laughs> but uh, but you, should, you should watch it. And what they are saying, if you translate it, is I will protect you, bride. I will cover you. And I was like, Matt, oh my gosh. And like, like it's just coming to me as, as we're talking about it. I said, the bridegroom was commissioning the bride. That is the power of the baptism. The mysteries of the spirit being revealed. Things that we can't do in our own mind, in our own will, in our own flesh. The spirit comes and enables us, gives us utterances, gives us revelation, and gives us direction and supernatural clarity about what to do, what to pray for, what to partner with in a specific moment. And I think that's so wonderful. It's such a wonderful gift. So let's talk about impartation. Stephen, if you could come up and get on the keys a little bit. So how do you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Just like when you get saved, you ask in faith. You ask in faith, you trust. You trust him. Like Raul was saying this morning, he's a generous father. He's faithful too. He's very faithful. Everything that God does is for us. And through faith, you must believe that the baptism, it's God's gift for you today. It is. If you come up and you want to be prayed for, or if you want just a refresher, and you're like, I haven't prayed in the spirit in a long time, and I would love for people to lay hands on me, we'll do that. And I want you to know that if you walk away today feeling like, I didn't get it, I didn't do it, there is no shame. I want you to ask somebody today before you leave, how did you receive the baptism? Because I can tell you every single one of us have unique stories and unique experiences to how it happened. For me, I was eight years old at a church camp. For the man I was talking about other um, uh, earlier, Pastor Paul, he was 50, alone in a hotel room. There's so many stories, just like how we come to know Jesus. It's unique to every one of us. It's so special. And I want to tell you, it, it, it's for you. You need praying people around you, standing with you in agreement, there to encourage you on until you receive. So if you do, you do or you don't today, partner up with people to say, would you continue to pray for me? Every time you see me, would you lay a hand on your shoulder and just say, we just believe for the baptism. 
And we thank you. We thank you in advance for the gift that you have promised. So we ask in faith, and then we act in faith. As you focus on the Holy Spirit, begin to speak what comes to your mind. There have been some cultures and services that I've been in where it feels like, are you training me how to speak in a different language? <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. But, I mean, it, it does help when people are praying in the Spirit around you. <laughs> it does, it does. And you don't need to believe the lie. You're like, am I just copying? Is this just emotionalism? It's just, what is this? No, you'll know when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's powerful. It may be very quiet. It may be very loud. Again, it's unique to you because the Holy Spirit loves you. And He knows you and He knows just what you need. Is this something I do or is this something that happens to me? The answer is both. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He never forces himself on anybody. But he will, when we yield to him, enable us and give you syllables to say that, you're, that are not your own language. As they come to mind, we ask in faith, we act in faith. You must participate. John 7, 37 through 39, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood in a loud voice and said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Rivers of living water will flow from within you. It will become as natural as English or whatever your primary language is. It will. It requires practice. Like we're teaching our toddler right now, English. <laughs> you know? But it comes with practice and it will become natural and it will become instinctual because this is what you were created for. You must ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, in his Holy Spirit. You must yield your mind and your voice to him. Sense the Holy Spirit rising up on you and wanting to speak through you. And don't be afraid to speak. The baptism is not based on emotion. Many people have received the Holy Spirit very calmly and quietly. You will not be in some strange frame of mind. Holy Spirit is not a mind-altering drug. This requires no permission. <laughs> it requires your permission and your partnership. Receiving baptism involves no hysteria or suggestion. You don't go into a trance or you make your mind blank. God cannot force you to speak in tongues. He can only inspire you to speak in tongues. When en whenever anyone says, I do this because God makes me do it, or I just can't help it, they're probably in the flesh. There's a point where you are so yielded to him that you be feel completely undone and overwhelmed, but it's not something that you feel like you have to force up on your own. Speaking in tongues is your spirit speaking inspired by the Holy Spirit. Don't let the enemy tell you that this isn't for you, not for the church today, or when you receive that you're copying what you've heard. It will be unique to your spirit and very, very powerful. It's like learning to swim. You've got to jump in. It's a divine dance. You've got to take his hand and let him lead. Suddenly, you'll feel a bubbling up of joy and boldness and freedom like you've never experienced. 
Let's stand up. I want to pray and then I'll, I'll pass it over Pastor Chris. Hmm. Yeah. Let's just reach up our hands to heaven as a prophetic sign. Lord, we receive from you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for the promise of the Spirit. Thank you that you've made us temples of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you've taught us, that you've taught us so well. <laughs> we ask that you would just give us more. We ask that we would receive the gift that you promised, like you poured out on the disciples in Acts 2. Lord, we want that today. We want this yielding of our hearts to be yielded to your power, Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you would come on us like never before in a greater measure. <laughs> Lord, that you would make our minds yield to you, our hearts yield to you. Lord, come purify us as vessels of your Holy Spirit. <laughs> we thank you for the baptism. We thank you for the overflow. We thank you for the power that you have given us from on high. We ask that you would make us greater witnesses, Lord, to the city of Atlanta, to our homes, to our nation. God, that the power of the Holy Spirit is for today and the whole world will know who you are. They will see you high and lifted up that you will be glorified. But God, Lord, we need this gift. We want this gift. Lord, we want to pray what you pray. We want to say what you say. We want to be fully aligned with the will of God. And I thank you so much. Thank you. Just tell him thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's so generous. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. If you have your prayer language, would you just begin to pray in the spirit right now?